This afternoon we are going to be considering Baptist Catechism numbers 89 and 90. Question 80 asks, what does every sin deserve? The news is bad news here. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in that which is to come. Question 90. What does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? And here is good news. To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. And so there is an escape, uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, There is a way that has been opened up for us to escape God's wrath and curse. It is through faith in Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one. We will read now from Acts 16, verses 25 through 34. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Uh, They were imprisoned, of course, for their faithfulness to preach the word of God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were inside his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This now the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the teaching of it this afternoon. I want you to pay careful attention to the question, What does God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? The catechism has been preparing us for this question, hasn't it? Do you see how our catechism works? Uh, It proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. In two ways. And I emphasize this because I want you to see it for the benefit of your own soul, but I also emphasize it so that you might be able to use this wonderful catechism to present the gospel to others also. Perhaps parents uh, can use it to preach the gospel to their own children. The catechism proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ two times and in two different ways. In the first portion of our catechism, we are told about God. We are told about the Holy Scriptures. And then we are told about God's creation, a man's fall into sin, and our redemption in Christ Jesus, you see. So the gospel is presented in this redemptive historical way along the lines of creation, fall, and redemption. That is a wonderful way to tell the story of our salvation in Christ Jesus, to tell the story of God's creation, man's fall into sin, and our redemption in Christ Jesus. And the gospel comes into view in that first section of our catechism in question 23. After considering man's fall into sin and all the miseries that come along with it, the question is asked, did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? 
And the answer is good news. God, out of, out, having out of His mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. So there the Redeemer is introduced to us. And then we ask, who is the Redeemer of God's elect? It is Jesus Christ. And from there... Uh, the application of redemption in Jesus Christ is described to us in the Catechism. It's very beautiful. But here we have the Gospel preached again in a different way. Instead of the redemptive historical way, uh, instead of a story being told, what have we been considering over the last many weeks and even months? We have been, been considering God's law, the Ten Commandments. And after considering the Ten Commandments, what was the question we asked? Is anyone able to keep these commandments perfectly? And the answer was bad news. No, no one is able in this life to keep the commandments perfectly. No mere man is, Christ was, you see. Uh, but we daily break these commandments in thought, word, and deed. And then we learned about what we deserved because of our sin. And the answer was bad news. We uh, deserve God's eternal condemnation. And so now that the law has been proclaimed and our violation of the law has been established and our guilt before God and what we deserve, all of that has been established. Now we come to this glorious question, what does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin, you see? And here the gospel comes in. So this is the law gospel way of presenting the gospel. The law condemns us, but then grace and hope and Salvation is presented to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We've heard the very bad news that every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. But here we find good news. Even the question itself brings a glimmer of hope. What does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? It implies that there is hope. The question suggests that there is an escape a way out of this terrible predicament that we find ourselves in. So what does God require of us? What must we do to be saved? What action must we take? I want you to pay very careful attention to what our catechism does not say. The answer is not, try harder to keep God's law. Did you hear that? The answer is not, try harder to keep God's law. By the way, should you try harder to keep God's law? <laughs> yes, but you ought not to think that you can be saved by the keeping of it, for we have already violated it in thought, word, and deed. So it is not try harder to keep God's law, nor is the answer go on a pilgrimage, or climb this mountain, or give more money, etc. What does God require of us? It is not work that God requires of us, but faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we must do in order to be saved. We must believe upon Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Again, hear the answer. To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this, friends. Faith is something that we must exercise. It is something that we must do. We must place our faith in Jesus Christ. But faith, by its very nature, is not work. No, it is the receiving of a gift. It is by faith that we receive the gift of salvation. Faith trusts in another. Faith rests in another. Faith receives the work and the reward that someone else has earned for us. Just as I said, faith, uh, just as I have said before in the past, faith is the open hand by which we receive the gift of salvation. And who is the object of our faith? Who is it that we trust in? 
I suppose that we might answer by saying, God. God is the object of our faith. We trust in God for our salvation, and that is indeed true. It is the triune God who has saved us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it is accurate to say that Jesus Christ is to be the object of our faith. To be saved, we must trust in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Savior that God has provided. God is our Savior, that is very true, but He has determined to save us through Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Jesus is the Messiah that God has sent. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. So to be saved, we cannot merely trust in God. No, we must trust in the Savior that God has provided for us, Christ Jesus the Lord. It is in His name that we are saved. Again, hear the Catechism answer. To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what the Scriptures so clearly teach. I could pile up Bible verses for you, but the passage that we read from just a moment ago in Acts 16 will do. The jailer was moved to ask Paul and Silas the most important question that a person can ask. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did they say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the same was also true for his household. And so the word of God was proclaimed to them as well. They too believed and were baptized along with him. So to be saved from our sins, we must believe in Jesus Christ. So why then does our catechism go on to mention other things? Repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. Does our catechism deny the wonderful doctrine that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone? The answer is, of course, no. Instead, our catechism is faithful to teach what the Scriptures teach, which is that we are saved through faith in Christ alone, but that faith, if it is true and saving faith, will never be alone. Instead, faith that is true and saving will be accompanied by repentance, and it will also produce fruit. It is not the repentance that saves you, you see. Nor is it the fruit that saves you. It is faith in Christ alone that saves you. But if you have true faith in Christ, there will be repentance. And there will be godly fruit. Faith is the open hand by which we receive the gift of salvation. But the same faith, if it is true, will also walk. It will be a faith that produces a way of life. How are we saved? Through faith in Jesus Christ, full stop. And what does this faith involve? It will always involve repentance. To turn to Jesus in faith is to turn from sin. You cannot do the one and not the other. It's it's an impossible thing. Go ahead and try to turn to something without at the same time turning away from something else. You can't do it, can you? Every time you turn, you turn to something and away from something else. And so it is with faith in Christ. To turn to Christ is to turn away from from sin. If you are walking in the wrong direction and if you wish to go in the right direction, you must turn around. And that one action of turning around involves two things. You must turn from the wrong way and then you must go in the right way. And so it is with faith in Christ. Turning to Him involves turning away from sin. That is what repentance is. That is what the word means. Repentance is turning. Faith in Christ will always be accomplished 
or excuse me, accompanied by repentance. And that is why repentance is sometimes mentioned as one of the things that must be done in order to be saved. Acts 16, in that passage we have just read, uh, Paul and Silas simply told the jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that is true. But elsewhere in the book of Acts, people are told to repent and believe. So which is it, we might say? Well, it, it is both. To say believe in Jesus and to say repent and believe in Jesus is really to say the same thing. For true saving faith will always be accompanied by repentance. But let me ask you this. Are we saved by the act of believing or are we saved by the act of repenting? I guess I have already addressed this with you in this sermon, haven't I? We are saved by the believing. It is for this reason that the scriptures will often mention faith alone. Faith or belief in Christ is the essential thing. But true faith does always involve repentance. Or to think of it in this way, if a man is living in some sin, say the sin of drunkenness, and he turns from that sin, does his act of repentance save him? Are you following me right now? Can you imagine a drunkard who decides to, to better himself and to turn from the sin of drunkenness? Does the act of repentance save him? I, I hope you would say no, of course not. Uh, he might be a better man for it, uh, it to some degree. But that act of repentance does not save him. Not unless he turns from his sin and to Jesus. It is faith in Jesus, the Christ, that brings us salvation. And true faith will always involve repentance. In other words, those with true faith in Christ will not continue in unrepentant sin. Why do I belabor this point? I have belabored it. I could feel it. I have belabored the point with you. Because there are so many who profess faith in Jesus Christ today who do not repent. And they should be concerned for their souls. Uh, true faith will always involve repentance. Lastly, consider the little phrase, with the diligent use of all the outward means, whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. What is this about? First of all, what are these outward means? Well, question 93 of our catechism will answer this, saying the outward means, the outward and ordinary means, whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption, are His ordinances, especially the Word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Secondly, I ask, does our catechism teach that in order to be saved, one must sit under the preaching of the Word of God, be baptized, partake of the Lord's Supper, and pray? Is that what our catechism is teaching us? We need to be very careful here. And really the answer to this is not very different from what was said about repentance. It is through faith in Christ that we are saved, full stop. But true faith is always accompanied by repentance, and so repentance is sometimes commanded to... And so it is with the outward and ordinary means. We are saved by faith alone, but true and saving faith is never alone. No, it produces obedience. It leads to a faithful walk. In other words, those who have true faith will strive to live a life of obedience to the Lord. If someone says, I have Jesus as Savior, and yet they never come to church to hear the Word of God preached, they have never been baptized in obedience to the command, they never partake of the Lord's Supper, what do you think about that? Uh, of course, the Lord may do a work in that person's heart, and it's impossible for us to see what is going on in them or what will happen in the future, but all evidence points to the fact that their profession of faith is false, that it is not true. Why? Because there is no fruit. They're not walking as a Christian ought to walk. 
And so with their lips they profess Jesus as Lord, but with their way of life they deny Him. And that is what our catechism is here teaching, that if someone has real authentic faith in Christ, there's going to be a turning from sin. And if they have real and authentic faith in Christ, there's also going to be a, a, a continual partaking of these ordinary means of grace that God has given to His church, you see. Uh, things like the preaching of the Word of God, attending to it, a prayer, a baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Uh, these things will be presented to us in, in future questions. It's a very important question that we're now dealing with, question 90. And really it does present the gospel to us and the way of life for the Christian. And what has Christ commanded us to do as we walk with Him in the world? We have, we have, determined, we have said this already. How has God determined to mark His people off as His own in the world and to nourish and strengthen them? Uh, those who have Jesus as Lord, who profess Jesus as Lord, are to be baptized in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are to devote themselves to the Word of God. They are to partake of the Lord's Supper regularly. They are to pray. Are we saved by these things? Again, I say to you, no, we are saved by faith alone. But again, if this faith is true and saving, it is never alone. It does lead to a faithful walk. And these are the things that God has commanded us to do. The faithful will do them. I asked you earlier if the man who repents from drunkenness is saved by his repentance. And we said, no, not unless he turns to Christ. Now I could ask you a more difficult question, I think. Are all who sit under the preached word, are all who are baptized, are all who eat of the Lord's Supper, and are all who pray to God saved? I hope you would say no again, not necessarily. Why? Why is this? Because some partake of these things without faith in Christ in their hearts. They partake of these things in an external way only. But there is no trust in Christ. So just as repentance alone does not save, but only repentance and faith in Christ, neither do church attendance, baptism, the Lord's Supper, or prayer save in and of themselves. They only function as a means of grace if there is faith in Christ within the heart. Faith in Christ is the operative and essential thing. Let me conclude with a positive exhortation. Do you wish to be saved from your sins? Do you wish to be freed from God's wrath and curse which is due to you because of sin? One, trust in Jesus Christ. He paid for sins. He bore the wrath of God. In Him there is forgiveness of sins and the hope of life everlasting. Two, this faith that I have mentioned will involve repentance. You cannot continue in sin and follow after Jesus at the same time. No, to have faith in Christ means that you will have Him as Lord. That is how Paul puts it in Romans 10.9, saying, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So then, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as Savior and Lord. He must be your King. You must obey Him. You cannot have Him as Savior if you will not have Him as Lord. So turn from your sin now and turn to Jesus. And turn from sin always as you walk with Him in this way. You will struggle as a Christian, trust me, we all do. But the Christian life is to be a life marked by repentance. Repentance in the beginning and repentance throughout. Three, if you have turned from your sins and faith in Christ, then be sure to make Diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption.
The first of these is His Word, so you must listen to God's Word. You must read it, hear it read and preached. The Word of God is our daily bread. God nourishes us with it. The second is baptism. If you have faith in Christ, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is in the waters of baptism that God sets His name upon His people. The third mentioned is the Lord's Supper. Christ nourishes, encourages, and refines His church through the Lord's Supper. And so we must partake faithfully. The fourth is prayer. Through prayer, we commune with God. God works through prayer. We will say more about all of these things in the weeks to come, but for now it will suffice to say, if you have faith in Christ, then make use of these ordinary means of grace, for God does distribute the benefits of the redemption that Christ has earned to the faithful through them. What has God required of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? Answer, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin. God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. This is gospel truth. May we believe these things. Let's bow for a brief word of prayer and then we will go to corporate prayer. Father, we thank You for the gospel presentation that we have for us here in this catechism. We thank You for Your law, for the way in which it shows us how we should live, but even we thank You for the way in which it condemns us. We thank You for the way in which the Spirit of God uses the law to convict us of sin so that we might be driven to Christ Jesus. I pray that You would drive us to Christ Jesus. There are some here perhaps who need to be driven to Christ Jesus for the first time, and so I pray that You would do it, O Lord, that they would have Him as Lord and Savior. But for those who have professed Jesus as Lord, I pray that you would drive us to Him again and again, that we would daily and even momentarily turn from sin into Christ over and over again and abide in Him so that we might produce good fruit. We ask that you would have this mercy upon us in Christ's name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.